Hey there, I'm Mark Scarborough, and this is the podcast Walking with Dante. I am glad you are sticking with me because we are reaching the difficult parts of Purgatorio. Canto 10, that's where we are right now, and lines 1 through 27. This is my English translation of the medieval Florentine. You can find it on my website, markscarbro.com or walkingwithdante.com. You can read along, print it off, make notes on your own, print off, all that kind of stuff. Unfortunately, it's not a facing page translation. You can find those elsewhere. Lately, I have been much in love with the Esselin translations of Purgatorio. We are entering the parts of Purgatorio where souls are actually perfect. Purgating, if you remember in our read-through, we found these souls on this first terrace or cornice of Mount Purgatory. They are purgating their sins on earth. We want to talk about the nature of sin on down the line, but not quite now. Instead, we want to look at this passage, which is a curious opening to what I think are some of the most astounding cantos in all of comedy. So, Purgatorio, Canto 10, lines 1 through 27. Once we were inside the threshold of the door, the one that those souls with their wicked love cannot use since they make the straight way appear crooked, I heard the noise that signaled it had shut again. If I turned my eyes back to have a look, how could have I made a worthy excuse for my fault? We then climbed through a crack in the rock. It turned one way, then another, almost like a wave as it retreats, then comes forward. We've got to employ a bit of skill here, my leader said, if we want to stick close to this side or that, depending on which gives us room. Doing so made our steps quite deliberate. Meanwhile, the waning moon had found its bed and lain down to rest as we finally got out of that needle's eye. Although we were free and out in the open in that spot where the mountain pulls back to make a little space, I was exhausted. Plus, we were both uncertain of the way ahead. We rested at a flat spot that felt more lonesome than a path through the desert. Measured from the edges drop that bordered out over the emptiness to the base of the steeply ascending mountain wall, the ledge was no bigger than three times a person's body. As far as my eye could take its flight, now toward the left, then toward the right, the terrace seemed to stretch out with the same depth in front of me. Before we get started on the explication of this passage, let me just tell you where we're going to go. I'd like to talk a little bit about this opening bit of Canto 10 because I find it very curious. Then I want to talk a little bit about that door and the opening and closing of it and a long tradition about that door in commentary that I'm not sure I agree with. And, you know, who am I to disagree with all these hundreds of years of Dante's scholars, but I'm not sure I buy it exactly. Then I want to talk about this climb, and mostly when we get to the climb, I want to talk about the poetry in the medieval Florentine, which is something we rarely do, but it's really important to notice it here, and I'll explain why when we get there. And then finally, I want to talk about the end and this bit about bordering out over emptiness and the drop and the emotional space created at the end of this passage. 
Let's start out with how Canto 10 opens. We now begin, as you well know, the cantos of the purgations of purgatory. And this is what we would expect of all of purgatory. But what is interesting, and perhaps I'm saying a little bit in advance here of where we are, but let me just say, what is interesting is that only 18 of the 33 cantos of purgatory are taken up with actual purgation. And in fact... Some of this bit about purgating is taken up with disquisitions and sermons toward people. It's interesting how little of purgatory is actually about purgation. The first nine cantos were about ante-purgatory, the place before we get through the gate. And these souls were not technically yet purgating themselves. They were waiting. And it's interesting that Dante feels he needs to build up this much waiting space. It's as if those neutrals in hell, remember them, the neutrals before limbo? It's as if that canto of the neutrals has blown out to this extended entryway. (laughs) This extended, it's not even an entryway, this extended front porch of purgatory. Entryway implies you're through the door. So this is like the front porch of purgatory. Nine cantos worth of it. Through the excommunicated, as he died violent, the kings, princes, and warlords who neglected their more celestial duties for their terrestrial power. All of that happened, and then, as you'll discover, we have a huge set of cantos at the end of Purgatorio that are not necessarily about purgating, although there's a little purgation in them, from the pilgrim himself, but not from the others around him. So we'll talk about all that when we get get up there. But if you just think about this passage I just read you, this is what I find so curious. If you're just reading this for the first time, and I know we've had a read through of it, but if you're reading this for the first time, you actually have no clue what is about to happen. Yes, I've told you that the souls are going to be purgating themselves. We've read the first 12 cantos. We kind of see this already. But step back from it. Pretend that you don't know anything and that you've come upon this passage for the first time. Think about what has happened. We came into Canto 9. There was this big dream, Ganymede, the eagle, St. Lucy. I mean, all this big dramatic stuff, the angel, the sword, the peas carved in the forehead, the keys of the kingdom, the steps. I mean, it was so dramatic. And then that door swung open and the hymns and the choirs and the organ. I mean, it was crazy. And then we get here and it just evaporates. Think about the emotional charge. Now, I I know there's all kinds of intellectual ways to think about this, but think about it on an emotional level. This is like the post-Christmas letdown. This is like planning for something for a long time, a wedding, an anniversary, a birthday, a celebration, a party, planning for it for a long time, and then it's happening, and it's great, choirs and angels after all, and then you come out on the, whatever, the Tuesday following, you know, 48 hours later, and you're left with this kind of, well, what do I do now? We had such a dramatic time in Canto 9, and then we just find ourselves in this place that's empty, that's quiet. Think about the way that the words lie here. There's an existential void, but there's also an a literal void. The ledge goes out to Ilvano, the emptiness. And there's a readerly void here. That is, you have been geared up and so much action as the reader, and you come out into this 
it's like, oh, wait, this is quiet and deserted. What happened to all that singing? What happened to all those choirs? <laughs> this is, of course, traditionally Dantean technique, uh, setting up the sequence before you see people involved in it, setting uh, the tone and the place. Remember the blasphemers when we come out of the wood of the suicides in Inferno, and we get the description of the brook running down through the burning sands, and if you stay on the banks of the brook, the falling fire doesn't hit you. Remember all this bit? And then we finally start to see the blasphemers like Capaneus, and then finally Brunetta Latini and others. Okay, that's a typical Dantean technique. Set the scene and then set people in the scene, which is what's going to happen here. But this is so extended. We've had 27 lines of this passage. And yes, there is a very difficult climb, the second difficult climb of Purgatorio. But at the same time, it all keeps wrapping back to the waning moon has gone to rest, the emptiness, the void, the deserted path. It's a direct contrast to the crowds that greet Charon and Minos in Inferno when we come to major demarcation points. There's all those crowds like leaves falling before Charon. There's all those people in front of Minos waiting to be thrown over the ledge as he wraps his tail around them. And here it's just quiet. And I would just encourage you for a moment, as I've already said, but I want to say it again, and I would just encourage you to think about this as emotional space, not intellectual space. What does it feel like to have come out of so much sound and fury and end up here at a deserted track with no one around? All right, now let's look at the passage. Before we continue this podcast, let me say it would be great if you could find a way to support it. One of the ways you can support it is to write a review or give it a rating on any platform in any language that you are in. <laughs> that certainly helps the podcast. And another way you can help support it is you can actually donate to Walking with Dante. There is a button both on my website and in this individual episode. There you can find a way to donate to the podcast through PayPal. And this helps me cover streaming, hosting, licensing, royalty fees. All of this I cover on my own and I do so gladly. But I've been asking for a little help because, you know, this is quite an effort on my part and it does involve involve quite a bit of monetary expense to put the podcast up and let it live. So given all that, please consider donating to keep walking with Dante going at its full pace. But even so, I am happy to be doing it on my own. It starts out once we were inside the threshold of the door and we're talking, they've just stepped inside, right? They've just come over into purgatory proper and what door will it's the one that those souls with their wicked love mal amor this is a very strange phrase bad love ill-formed love can amor be bad apparently there's a way it can be deformed twisted wicked evil Interesting that love, which is the prime virtue for a Christian, love can be evil, mal. 
those with their wicked love cannot use because they make the straight way appear crooked. This is a standard Christian trope, goes all the way back to the early days of Christianity about the straight way to redemption versus the crooked path that leads to damnation. And it's going to play out in this passage a little bit because the path going around the mountain is circular, but it's pretty flat and straight. That's certainly here. And also, the crookedness does play out a bit in this passage because they do have to climb that very crooked crack in the rock. Is that crack evil? No, not. But it seems to be that you have to purgate yourself of the crooked, cracked ways before you can get on the straight path. Boy, I don't have to go back to psychotherapy to explain that to you, do I? I don't think so. Anyway, Dante gets through it. Virgil gets through it. And then Dante hears a noise that signaled it had shut. Notice that this is a noise that says that door, the gate of purgatory, has closed behind them. And then Dante adds, if I turn my eyes back to have a look, how could I have made a worthy excuse for my fault? Remember, the angel said, don't look back. Whatever you do, don't look back. We talked about Orpheus. We talked about Lot's wife. We talked about all of that. There may be a bit here about Jesus who... Um, says to his disciples that once you set your hand to the plow, you don't turn back and you don't turn away from the plow. But what I really want to focus on is that noise, the noise of the doors shutting. There are a lot of critics who talk about this. I mean, it's obvious, right? Because there were hymns and choirs and organs when the door <laughs> opened. I mean, it was quite jubilant and quite beautiful. And oh my gosh, we're walking into the big cathedral and we walk into utter uncompromising silence. We were, to put it bluntly, promised more, right? I mean, I was promised that when I got in here, I was going to have choirs and organs. A lot of critics say that this is a grating noise when the door shuts, and that's because it's seldom opened. But I'm not sure. The Florentine is pretty static here, and it's basically just hearing a noise sonando la senti. It's not, it doesn't really have a grating sense to it. I mean, I heard the sound, the sense, the feeling. I heard the sensation. I mean, you don't actually, is it, you know, the door's so big, you kind of feel it in your body. Sure, okay, I can buy all of that. But I don't know. I don't know that this is so much of a grating sound. Dante scholars want it to be a harsh, bad, horrible sound because they want to say that Dante is saying the door is seldom opened. But that contradicts what the angel said. When the angel said, I'm supposed to err on the side of opening the door rather than keeping it closed. And there are crowds ahead of us up in purgatory. So I'm not sure that the door is seldom open. What I am sure is that there's a different vibe here, to use the contemporary term. When it opened, there was a certain vibe. And now when it's closed, the vibe is very different. And it has a very solemn, quiet feel. And you hear that door closing. And it it's, it's it's almost scary. I'll give it that because, you know, there's no going back now. But at the same time, it is this feeling that uh, not anticlimax, but post-climax. And it's not a joyous relaxation. It's more of a feeling of, well, now what? So now what is the climb? Let's just read those lines. It's line 7 through 16. We then climb through a crack in the rock. It turned one way, then another, almost like a wave as it retreats, then comes forward. We got 
to employ a bit of skill here. I want to talk to you about this word in a minute. My leader said, if we want to stick close to this side or that, depending on which gives us room, doing so made our steps quite deliberate. Meanwhile, the waning moon had found its bed and lain down to rest. The moon had been full, we know, on Thursday night in the dark wood at the beginning of Inferno. And we now know that we are at Monday morning in the chronology of comedy. Um, There is a reference to the moon at Inferno 20, line 127, and now the moon is waning. So again, the moon was full, and Dante is clearly keeping track of time, so several days have elapsed, and then they get out of a needle's eye. There are two New Testament verses in here. One is in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew, uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, verse verses 13 through 14, where Jesus says that narrow is the way to heaven, but broad is the way to destruction, paraphrasing, but along those lines. And if you remember, the gate of hell was very big and open and anyone could pass through it. And now that we get into purgatory, it's tight and narrow and crooked up this crack in the rock, a little dangerous, difficult climb. And then they get out of the needle's eye. And this is a reference to, again, the Gospel of Matthew, but now further on in the Gospel at chapter 19, verse 24, where Jesus says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. That's certainly the way this works out. This seems to be that very needle's eye that it requires, and I'm playing on what's ahead, it requires a bit of effort. It requires a bit of humility. Nobody gets up this thing easily. Nobody can get through this pass easily. Mostly what I want to do right here is just focus on the Florentine for a second, because here's the thing. Dante has slowed the plot down a great deal, and the plot slows down a lot in Purgatorio, which is why many people have problems with it. I love Purgatorio because it, for me, is about art and the production of art and why humans make art, as we will come to see. But for now, what we notice is the plot has slowed down. Think about Inferno. You know, we got... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> 10 Malabolja and 4 Cockatus, and right, we've got just all of this unbelievable fast stuff we got to get through in three circles of the violent. I mean, it's just bang, bang, bang plot with some digressions. Now we're going to slow down a great deal. And when we slow down, Dante has a chance to practice the art of poetry more. Dante seems to be signaling this to us because Virgil does say to get up here, we need more Arte. We need a little more arte. Un poco d'arte. We need a little more art. So so the idea here is a bit more art. Uh, what do we want to say? Uh, th- that, you know, skill, craft. But the word art is starting to take on modern connotations of art in Dante's day. So while it is skill and craftsmanship, we got to be wily to get up this crooked cleft in the rock. At the same time, Dante in my books, is signaling us to pay attention to the art of comedy, and the art of comedy is found in the language. Let me show you a couple places. When I translated it, doing so made our steps quite deliberate, that line. Let me give you the line in the Florentine. E questo feci i nostri passi scarsi. In this way, made our steps slow, deliberate, as I translated it. This line is kind of amazing because... The line slows down. You cannot say 
i nostri passi scarsi fast because of all those e's and those hard sounds scarsi you can't just blow this line through it slows down and it feels like footsteps right i nostri passi scarsi it feels like it's stepping along slowly and because of the very pronounced rhythm in the line, it actually slows down. So Dante is using the poetry itself to slow down. And in fact, the rhymes here are ugly. Uh, that scarcity rhymes with accostarsi and ricocarsi. These are very tough words. They're hard to say. They have some really grating sounds in them. Ricorcarsi. They have this kind of toughness about them. And in fact, if you even look even closer at the passage, you'll notice a really interesting bit in the rhyme screen. That is that arte, skill, craftsmanship, but also art, is bound in a rhyme with parte on either side of it. So they go up and you can't move one way or d'altra parte, the other way. And then later that rhyme comes back, quindi all'atto che si parte, where that part of the rock gives way or parts itself. Inside of that parte rhyme, we found arte. Inside of Parts, we find art in the crack of a rhyme that is essentially a repeated word. Dante is really using his poetry to great effect here. In fact, when we get down to that bit about I'm so tired, I was so exhausted from this climb, there's a diacritical mark in German, an umlaut, over the eye of io, making us stress that eye, io. I was just exhausted. I was I was completely overwhelmed by the climb. That difficult language comes all the way down to that word for needle's eye, kruna. It's a very ugly word, kruna, needle's eye. This climb is difficult. It is arduous. The art is wedged into the various parts of it. Dante is using language here very effectively. In fact, I would argue that over the course of comedy, Dante is becoming a more assured poet. Now, I realize that's a little blasphemous to say because a lot of people want to see him as the prophet of God from the very beginning of Inferno, but I think not. I think that there's a way that Dante is starting to rest into the language and like a great poet like Emily Dickinson or Wallace Stevens, Dante is starting to use language itself to carry further meaning in the text. And where does it get them? Well, it gets them out free and open on the mountain in the spot where the mountain pulls back to make a little space. And Dante is there exhausted. I told you about the eo and the diacritical mark over the eye. Plus, we were both. And now Virgil comes into the picture a little bit. We were both uncertain of the way ahead. Notice that the, uh, the emphasis has been on Dante the whole time. In fact, Virgil's been um, here. I mean, he's the one who says we have to use a little more art. But it's been on how Dante feels, what Dante feels like when the gate shuts, how he doesn't turn back around. Uh, yes. Virgil's been in the passage, but now it seems like Virgil enters more forcefully into the directionality of the passage because they're both uncertain, and Dante is linked directly to Virgil. This is an interesting moment, right, because Virgil is not necessarily the guide. While Virgil knows they have to use a little more skill to get up here, he understands that 
uh, for once, uh, from now on out, Virgil is not going to be as certain about what's ahead. No wonder Virgil's never been here. So they rest on this flat spot that felt more lonesome than a path through the desert. I mean, just think about the existential reality here, the feeling of it, measured from the edges drop that boarded out over the emptiness. Ilvano, there's that word, the void. This passage comes down to the void off the edge of the cliff. To the base of the steeply ascending mountain wall, the ledge was no bigger than three times a person's body. So we're going to assume this means length, not width. I've never seen anybody question this, but when I first was translating this, I thought, hmm, I wonder if that means how wide a body is or how long it is. I think it must mean long because wide would be oh, an incredibly narrow little ledge here. So let's say in Dante's day, the average person is about five and a half feet tall. That means that this ledge is 16 and a half feet wide or five meters wide, maybe a little larger than five meters, but not much. We're talking a pretty narrow ledge. I mean, you, you're not in danger necessarily of falling off the edge, but you've got to stick close to the mountain here, which again gives it this kind of tenuous, difficult feeling. And it ends with, as far as my eye could take its flight now toward the left, then toward the right, the terrace seemed to stretch out with the same depth in front of me. I mean, there's this feeling that there's just this empty path, and to one side of it is the void, and to the other side is the very steep mountain, and they've come up this arduous place, and there's no one here. Just think about that as a kind of way to begin the discussion of art that lies just ahead of us. We're going to get to that discussion of art. You know it from our read-through. Oh, it used to be all Cimabue, and now it's all Giotto. It's all lying just in front of us. And to get there, it would be great if you could subscribe to this podcast and keep walking with me. I know this is going to get difficult. Listen, Purgatorio is not for the faint of heart. We're not going to talk about Paradiso. Do I get impatient with what's ahead in Purgatorio? Yes, I do. Do I get tired of the incessant sermonizing? Yes, I do. Is some of the sermonizing unbelievably uh, forward thinking? Yes, it is. Where do we get there? It's lying on past this terrace, this first terrace of Purgatorio. And all along, we're going to be talking about what it takes to make art. Because art, apparently, is the result or the means, unclear which, of purgation. We have so much to talk about in terms of how you can be a creative artist. I'm Mark Scarborough. I'll see you down the road.